0: This podcast has been made possible by the generosity of Jess and Milton Graham. Slade Wolf Enterprises presents Mrs. Oscar Wilde A lengthened version of the one-woman stage play Episode 5 Poor Mrs. Wilde "'Dear Otho, I thank you for your last kind letter that expressed worry over my still being in bed. "'I did have a devil of a time of it. "'The doctor told me that I was forbidden to walk for a time "'and that I ought to consider myself bedridden under his instruction if I ever expected to get well again. "'At least I'm being taken seriously at last in my complaints.' "'No sooner had she heard of it than Aunt Mary sent for me "'and installed me at Lower Seymour Street for her nursing. "'I dare say I have never been so well looked after, "'and I put it solely down to her care that I have recovered so quickly. "'I even had it in mind to have an operation, "'but called it off at the last minute.' I hope that my absence wasn't too keenly felt when Oscar brought his libel suit, but I really was too ill to face it on this occasion, and, you know, I would support him if only I could. I must say, I do not think that his going off to Monte Carlo ahead of the trial itself is either in the best of taste, nor stands him in good stead with the general public.' I do not even think that he called upon his sick mother before he departed, which I find so much the worse. I feel for her in all this business, as she must be beside herself, as am I. She has rather come to rely upon me in recent years. And, had I not left directions about his mother having everything she needed, I wonder if he might even have given her a second thought. And good Lord knows what might have become of her. "'I am, in fact, really quite angry with him, "'as putting everything else aside "'when he came to visit me that night "'and told me all about what the Marquis had said, "'what the Marquis had done so publicly. "'I spent hours that evening "'speaking great sense to him "'and dissuading him from the idea of pressing a charge. "'I suppose some part of me was worried. "'Yet when he left the house... "'he seemed convinced by my good counsel. "'But the moment Bosie got to him, "'he was struck somehow with sudden bravado, "'and all of my advice was for naught. "'Yet again, never even a thought. "'All that brain, and what does he truly use it upon? "'I've carried on as best as I have felt able.' I've kept up the gatherings at Tite Street whenever I've felt strong enough. I thought it was the best thing to carry on, as if all was well. That is what Oscar advised me. And several other people, of course. And yet this past at-home that I hosted last Thursday was really very badly attended. I had it of several people that they would attend, and yet those that did noticed how quiet the affair was and how few had come, enough to mention it several times. I am sure it is, just how close to the trial it must be. It may well be seen in bad taste upon my part, which was a concern, but I try to understand it from the other point of view, that people may not want to associate themselves until they are sure that there shall not be a real scandal in the end. Yet I find this very disappointing, incredibly so. If, God forbid, it were you or Lady Mount Temple, or any of my dear friends, I would conduct myself by the policy of showing all others that I cared not a jot about associated scandals. Staying away is really the last thing to help. I have received some lovely letters and notes of support. Here is what Ellen Terry sent me. Dear heart... "'Be of good cheer, and when you can, etc., etc. "'I do hope you little boys are ever so well. "'I send my dear love to you. "'If it cannot serve you, it can at least do no harm, etc., etc. "'I only want to send you my love, dearest Constancy. "'I am so grateful for their words of comfort, "'but I do so wish one would commit to speak in Oscar's favour. "'Oscar cares for no one but myself and the children.' By sticking to him now, I may save him. I cannot wait for it all to be at an end. It really is all too much. And I am having the worst time of it, trying to explain the increasing questions that my sons put to me. For even people in the street may say a thing, and then the child will know more than he needs to. I promised myself long ago that... I should never treat any child of mine as our own mother treated me, never to bring them any hardship. Yet I am powerless to stop the hardships that may come from outside the house. I have no sway over others whose unscrupulous characters can involve a person's young children. I hope that you will drop in on me soon. It's such a comfort to have you nearby. You could always come along to my at-home this coming week. All my love, and I hope that I will see you again soon. Constance. My dear Otho, By now I am sure you will have seen the papers that doubtless have talked of my trip to the theatre the other night. I wish you had been here waiting for me on my return, as there are few others with whom I can expose and express my grief. It was April Fool's Day, and surely there was no bigger fool than I. I could not tell you while you were here. I have been very careful to limit all talk of him where others can hear, but just before my at-home, I received my great surprise, Oscar, only just back from Monte Carlo. His manner indicated that he had no idea of my own recent trials, and had not thought on their possibility. But then when he perceived we were alone, he put it to me that we must present a united front. And what better way to show this bravado and for my being on his arm at the theatre that evening. That is also, I confess, why I did not tell you. A great part of me wanted very much to be angry at him, to air the quiet fury that has been building within me for a very long time indeed. But I said nothing of it. I did not show it. I admit that I tried my very best to put him off, excusing myself again through my health, but he implored me. And you know that I can never say no to anyone if they petition me in person, least of all him. So you already know that I agreed. At least, I said to myself, this whole messy business may just teach him at last that I am his staunchest friend and shall not desert him, even with the sounds of a horrific scandal bearing down upon us. He is my husband, after all, I reminded myself. After my ill attended at home, I was even beginning to look forward to the theatre, when I heard Oscar's smart rap upon the door. I had done as he requested and donned my finest white furs, giving the appearance of every innocence, for suggestion can be a powerful thing, I know. Then the door was opened and my husband stood on the doorstep, behind him a waiting hansom cab. He smiled at me, and for a moment I had such a reassuring feeling that everything would soon be quite well again, and Oscar would come to his senses, that this very night might be at last the opportunity that I have been waiting for in which to display my loyalty and, despite my own flaws and troubles, my steadfastness. Then I perceived that there was someone already sitting inside the handsome cab and as I took my husband's hand to descend the steps, A face leant forward from its shadows, and I caught sight of him. But it was already far too late. It was Bosie. Oscar had brought him along as well. How I managed not to cry I shall never know. But I held the tears off as if I were not really possessed of my own person for hours. The play itself might have been very good, I'm sure it was, but here was I, a player of a different kind and never even knew. I sat between them, Bosi on my right and Oscar at my left, but I might as well have been one of Oscar's carnations in a buttonhole. I was required to be there as symbolism only. He would not even have thought to ask me I realised but that in appearing before others with both he and Bosie he doubtless believes it will appear that I have given my blessing upon their friendship. Aside from this I was unnecessary. My opinion was not sought nor was I even asked whether I was enjoying the performance. Neither of them had a care. I was serving my purpose merely by being present. I held off the tears until right at the end. I was determined to show as little as possible. Then outside the theatre, when I had been seen enough, and Oscar was detained by a few who wished to speak to him of the play itself, Bocey stood before me quite brazenly, with not an ounce of remorse to his demeanour, "'and he grinned at me. "'Good of you to come, Constance,' he said. "'The man has no tact whatsoever. "'I could barely speak. "'Those words are words I have spoken to others "'when they have accompanied Oscar and myself. "'Not at all, I believe,' I uttered. "'Then, not wishing to leave it at that, I spoke. "'It is good for him to have people all about him.' In case of coming strife, Oscar won't have any strife, Bosie countered quickly. My father's a brute, and he'll get what he deserves in court. I really rather hope that you are right, said I. Of course. Why do you think we've pressed the charges? It's because Oscar knows good sense when he hears it. His grin grew wider. And my breath caught. In my throat. It was then that I knew, as if I saw what i had only seen in part previously from him. This was all Bosie's orchestration. Everything has been his doing, really. And he has not really a care how I suffer, or how my children might suffer, or how my husband might come to suffer. My company that evening was not even Oscar's idea at all. It had been Bosie's suggestion that I was invited. Because he had known all along how my presence with the two of them would come across in front of others. I shed tears in that hansom, that will make me blanch if I ever see that cabby again. Oscar left not long ago, after he came to see me this morning. I have no idea why he was here, really. He talked about needing to pick up some things, but possibly it was some kind of way of making people think that he spends as much time at home as any man. I fear I gave him short shrift and said that after the night's exertions I really had very little energy to see to anything. He paid little mind to that, however, even as he could see that I was in some degree of pain. I'm very glad you were there last night, he said at one point. Yes, I don't doubt it for a moment. For the first time, Otho, at least so evidently, I believe my own wit was ahead of my husband's. He did not hear the tone in my voice. I dare say he didn't know that there was more meaning than what was on the surface to my words. I feel as if when he was sitting there, I saw him suddenly as one might, under the scrutiny of a magnifying glass, with many things that I have hitherto overlooked and others that I did not fathom were there at all, all in plain sight. I saw a character not unlike one of Oscar's own creation who sits and smokes and talks with ease, seemingly under the monstrous delusion that all is well and that we do not stand upon the very brink of ruin. He, or rather he and his companion, are quite evidently assured "'that this trial is a mere formality, "'and that soon life that has become quite suitable for them "'will go on as before. "'But you see I have my friends, Arthur. "'Lady Mount Temple, for example, "'I do not know what I would have done these past years "'without her to lean upon, "'and I dare say I speak with as much ease to her "'as I ever have with you, if not more. "'She, Aunt Mary, my friend, Mr Hope, And indeed a number of people have been showing concern through frequent visits and letters recently. I am afraid I am under no delusion, as it would seem Oscar is. It has become clear to me that while in the theatre society praises Oscar openly, on the whole he is looked upon with great disdain and it would seem that only through my own ignorance of my husband and his habits, which is perceived by almost everyone to what previously felt like my shame, I have escaped a similarly sullied reputation. They know that I am blameless, and as much a victim in this as my own children. There are things that shall doubtless be discussed and revealed in the courtroom which I don't care to put down or even to think upon. But while not in so many words, it is being made plain to me by others that I should not expect. The trial to go in Oscar's favour. That alone has shaken me greatly, but Robbie, dear Robbie, whom I am sure loves Oscar truer than any other, was compelled to tell me just how badly it might be for Oscar if the Marquis were to win the case. I am very distraught and worried and no one can help me. I can only pray for help from God and that... I seem now to spend my time in doing. Sometime I trust that prayers may be answered, but when or how, I don't know. Darling, say a prayer for me, and if you go out, light me a candle. Your devoted sister, Constance. Otho, Oscar's trial has fallen through. I was tempted to rest easy, but I have been assured that another will take place very soon. I am moving as fast as I might. "'they begin already to despise him openly, "'even those that praised him the loudest. "'They have removed his name from the theatre billings. "'I am moving Cyril to Ireland, "'where he is to stay with Cousin Susie, immediately. "'Vivian shall stay with me "'until we know what shall happen next. "'I am in Torquay, "'as I have put the most pressing of my affairs in order "'and now must be free of the flashing lights of the press "'that now dog my every move "'as soon as I step without my house. "'Lady Mount Temple said I ought to come far away "'for the few days.' I meant to stay with friends much closer to home, but I find invitations extended, either now with severe conditions, or otherwise rescinded. So many letters from Oscar's creditors were mounting up at the door, I couldn't bear it, and I'm overdrawn at the bank. The Hopes and my other friends have said they will do what they can, but the children, they must be sent away, abroad, very soon, as soon as can be arranged. I have told them nothing but Cyril is all too aware all is not well and I'm sure he will not rest until he knows the truth if anyone petitions you for news of me you are to tell them nothing they will try and bribe you with any amount but you must not say a word if either of us is to weather this tempest do not judge me too harshly for having so little to do with the effort to get Oscar permanently released you have children you know that I must put them first else what else kind of mother could I claim to be I do not even write where he is, in case this letter is intercepted. But I saw Oscar last night, before I left. I implored him to leave the country. Robbie's mother has called him away, and that awful person has taken himself abroad. Even if it were this that persuaded him, I'd have begged him on my knees, if I'd have stood half a chance of rising again without needing to be taken to bed. But he simply sat there, in the nursery they have deposited him in, surrounded by toys and playthings of children, and surely like a child he is either being obstinate or does not understand. I urged him to think of the children, of me, and that once the worst of it is past, we will return again. I told him Sir George had said the same, that the only solution now was to go, while we still can. His lawyer, Sir Edward, has echoed this. From every corner he is being begged to flee. But he will not hear of it. He will not be budged. He was all but deaf to my pleas. I am no coward, said he. Arthur, we are truly undone. I think you must make arrangements for myself. And the boys. Yes, to all go back with you to Switzerland. Very soon. Where else can we go? What else can we do? I must see you upon my return to London urgently, so we can decide what in the world we are to do. Write to me at Lady Mount Temples as soon as you get this letter. We must move decidedly. Yours, Constance. Dear Otho, I am writing, would you believe, from Tite Street. I am only here tonight. You can write to me at my usual address. It occurred to me that while in England, and my strength as much as it has been for a few days, I should stop in to collect as many of my possessions as I might before the house is sold. But Oscar's creditors arrived here long Before I did. There is talk that Oscar is to be declared bankrupt very soon. I believe I shall be in Nervy in Italy for the winter. My apologies, I cannot be more specific. But then, I seem to remember there was similar confusion about where I should be when I first left Mama's house all those years ago. Do you remember it? How long ago that now seems... It is so quiet here. I have a fire going and there is a storm blowing up outside, but as to the house itself, I don't remember this place ever being so quiet. I remember when this house rang with laughter and love. Laugh. My tiny sons, my loving husband, our guests, the great and the good. Politicians, writers, artists, (sighs) thinkers... My pain comes and goes just now. This is the best I have been in a long time and I fear I'm still worse than when you last saw me. I can barely walk and can go nowhere without a cane. I have heard there are certain procedures that one can undergo at certain clinics. But I am somewhat nervous of this. If I do not speak about it to you when I see you at Christmas, then... Why, then forget that I've ever even mentioned it. I do not believe that I've even been here since the trials. Or even before. This house is no longer a home now. And the creaky boards, and the rain comes in, and the wind whips through. Do you think I once spoke to those I most admired and loved in these very rooms? Such pride. And our things are now going to be sold at auction. I saw a girl who worked in the house for a good few years on my way here. She's obviously found some employment nearby, which I was glad to see she was going somewhere on some errand and I held my hand out of the carriage so that she might catch sight of me she glanced and then looked away I don't know whether it was because she did not recognize me from where I was and thinking I must still be abroad or if it is strange how everyone must always take a side I feel the pity, the belittling. People's perception in their pity betrays their true feelings. Once upon a time, I suppose I was my own person. Oscar had always eclipsed me, and I'd never worried about it, but once I had a name all my own. I was Constance. Now the thing I hear most commonly when my back is turned is simply poor Mrs. Wilde. It's one of the kindest things they call me. I must think I cannot hear them. That I do not read the papers. It's poor Mrs. Wilde I feel sorry for. Can you imagine being her just now? Dreadful business. But then she ought to have acted far sooner. Ten, five, even two years ago, women such as the like who now deign to pity me would have crawled over broken glass to stand where I did. Suddenly I'm no longer a real person at all. Simply poor Mrs. Wild. Although I worry that I shall never return fully to health again. I saw him today. Oscar. I saw him only as one is allowed, by special permission, to see any prisoner. But I really could not go through it all again. They say he's quite well, but he's an absolute wreck compared with what he was. No colourful coats. (laughs) No carnations. His hair clipped to his skin. He barely looked himself. He's suited to writing and parties, and the most energy he ever expended was staying up all night writing and socialising. But what they have him doing in that godforsaken place... It was awful. More awful than anything I have ever been through. And worse even for him, I suppose. Especially for the purpose of my visit. I sat and after exchanging pleasantries, I told him what I had come so far to tell him. Your mother has died, Oscar. I am so sorry. When his grief had subsided a little, he asked where we were staying. I told him we were abroad, that you had tutored the boys, but that I was still looking for permanent schools. He expressed surprise that I had come so far to deliver the news of his mother personally, especially with my health and lack of strength. And I couldn't tell him why. I said, of course, I hadn't wanted him to discover such things from unfriendly or indifferent lips. I asked him how his ear was treating him. You know he fell and injured it recently. And he answered, It plagues me, as your back does you. We shall soon have been married twelve years. And now we talk of nothing. He showed me great kindness, contrition, unspoken but obvious, He said he would support and not oppose any decisions I made for the boys. There was a silence between us for a while, and then suddenly he spoke. I suppose you will want a divorce. I shall not deny you one, should you require it. I've never known him say anything so pitifully... I told him he did not know what the three of us had suffered by his hand. I told him of our flight, like thieves in the night, explaining to his sons that we were unlikely to return and that we may not see him again for a great while. I told him of the humiliation and the journalists, the looks and whispers I detected even for the few hours I had been in England. I told him of the friends that I had held so close to me, and so dear, and how so many of them could not so much as write to me, let alone be seen in public in my company, for the fear of his scandal touching them through me. I told him of the daily pain I lived with, physical now, coupled with emotional, each and every single morning I awake, And moreover, for the most part, all of this, I am having to see to quite by myself. And that in all of this, I have done nothing. I told him he did not know what suffering he had caused us and that I did not wish to divorce him. You see, what everyone seems to fail to realise is that the shame and the torment and the measures taken to keep the rocked boat of our lives afloat seem sometimes like calm sailing across a quiet sea, in contrast to being told and understanding that the man that you have married, that the man that you love. (laughs) (laughs) I told him my solicitors have advised me that he must relinquish his parental rights to the children. He hated that. But I insisted. It is for their benefit. And whereas he has failed to look after us, I cannot fail them. The oddest thing about this meeting was that as I left him there, I noticed that there were these scraps of hope about my heart. How I recalled he had been mine first. Maybe some day. My God, Arthur... If only I might awaken to find the past year or more nothing but a terrible, awful dream. I look forward greatly to seeing you at Christmas. And it shall be good to have us be a family in whatever way that might appear to be. Altogether once more, though now. Fewer than there should be. The worst of it is... I should argue with no one if they said this were all my fault, because I worry somehow it might be your loving sister, Constance. In our final episode, this terrible thing called life. Constance escapes to the continent during Oscar's imprisonment, but able as she is to outrun the damnation of scandal and ruin in London, she cannot outrun her own failing health and turns to drastic measures.